You're listening to Welcome to Books and Bobo, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yu. And I'm Rira Yu. And on this episode of Books and Bobo, we have another one of our author interviews for you. We're talking to Mia P. Manansala, the author of the upcoming cozy mystery, Arsenic and Adobo. This book made me so hungry. As you can tell from the title, uh, you can expect a lot of Filipino American food. So um, make sure you eat lunch or dinner before you start reading <laughs> yeah um the book comes out on may 4th uh, we had a really great conversation with mia about her her novel about her love of cozy mysteries and writing about filipino culture rira as a connoisseur of these uh, cozy mysteries how did this one stack up for you i really like the fact that uh lila who is the main character in this book was actually pretty good at following up on clues because we've had because <laughs> we've read mis- cozy mysteries where a citizen becomes like the main suspect and they have to like do their own investigation and they turn out to be not that great yeah. they bumble through they a lot of the clues are accidental, but with Lila, I think it was pretty, uh, I was pretty impressed by um, her, I guess, like, self-awareness. Always love a competent, cozy detective. And also love uh, meddling aunties in, in anything. <laughs> they're, they're really fun to read. Yeah, this book has all the greatest hits. Uh, so yeah, um, please enjoy our conversation with Mia. Hey everyone, it's Marvin. So we've been in COVID lockdown for the last year, and one of the biggest bummers is that I haven't been able to go visit Asia for over a year. Uh, Before the lockdown, I used to go at least once a year to visit family and friends. And those of us who have been to Asia know that one of the best parts about going to Asia is access to Asian snacks. You know what I'm talking about, all those great chip flavors that you just can't find in the States. But that's why it's awesome that our sponsor, Irvin's, Singapore's number one snack, has finally made its way over to the States. Irvin's is the original salted egg chip using real salted duck egg that has been brined for 30 days, then steam cooked and hand mixed into potato chips, fish skins, and cassava chips. Then real salted duck egg yolks, fresh curry leaves, and red peppers are diced right into the bag. Now, for those of you who haven't tried salted duck egg or xiangyadan, it's a unique savory experience that will leave you wanting more. Recently, I've acquired a couple bags of the spicy version of Irvin's chips. And whew, let me tell you, it's like a flavor bomb in your mouth. It's not just spicy, but it's Asian spicy, which of course is a thousand times better. Now, Irvin's chips carry a higher price point than regular chips, but that's because Irvin's is a gourmet snack with all real food ingredients literally baked into the chip. And trust me, it's quality that you can taste. Visit eatirvins.com to order your Irvin's chips today and use the promo code BOBA, all caps, for free shipping on any order. That's eatirvins.com with promo code BOBA spelled out for free shipping on your dangerously addictive snacks. Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. 
We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we've got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace. And we are here with author Mia P. Manansala, the author of Arsenic and Adobo. Uh, she is also the winner of the 2018 Hugh Colton Award and the 2018 Eleanor Taylor Bland Crime Fiction Writers of Color Award. Welcome, Mia. Hey, thanks for having me. It's always great to bring award-winning Asian authors onto this podcast. <laughs> for unpublished works, yeah. but yes. <laughs> it's all good. I mean, it still counts. Yeah. It's still very mm-hmm. impressive. You can still um, technically yeah. say award-winning author. <laughs> I mean, like, those awards are for my now soon-to-be debut novel. So I guess you're right. It counts. It counts. It counts. I'm not gonna, it I'm definitely not gonna, counts. Like, in publishing, you need to celebrate every little thing. So you're right. You're right. Yeah. So how are you doing? How's um how's COVID publishing life going for you? Well, my book cut like as of this recording, my book comes out in three weeks. So it's that weird thing of like, I've been waiting over a year for this to happen, and now that it's starting to happen, I'm like, oh no! What like <laughs> my, like people are gonna be reading my words and and having opinions and oh you know it's it's a weird super exciting and super scary time right now your your book is a book of the month choice and that's like that's a pretty big deal too so like congratulations i think i think that's also what's kind of adding to this weird like in between feeling because I see my book like on Instagram, people are tagging me in photos, but it, it hasn't officially released. So I'm like, is this real? Like, is this actually happening? It's, it's called marketing. <laughs> it's called marketing. Not a lot of authors get it, but you're very lucky. And I yeah. think uh, your book definitely deserves it because Thank I had you. so much fun yeah. reading it. Um, so I like to read author acknowledgments, um, usually like before I start reading the book, just to like get a feel for who they are. Um, And I noticed that you thanked your parents for being supportive of your uh, Mm non-Asian career as a writer. And uh, it said that your mother introduced you to Cozy Mysteries. And I just wanted to ask you, like, um, was that like your foray into... um, into your love of reading and writing or was it uh what was that passion um earlier in in your childhood like it it was a little bit earlier so like I'm very good for my parents for like never you know when I, they knew I wanted to be a writer and they were cool with it as long as I had a backup plan it's my grandparents who uh <laughs> had the issue so we can always talk about that later because that's always fun um I you know honestly I can't remember how I got into reading but like I started really really young um kind of taught myself and like my mom introduced me in the books later on so she um worked at Walden Books for like a decade. You remember those? God, I miss Walden Yeah, books. I, I remember oh. those. <laughs> she, so she worked there for like a decade when I was like in like um, from like middle school, like through like throughout like almost all of high school and, part, and most of college. And 
apparently when you work there, like you, you know, as books, I was like, they get arcs, which, so like I knew what arcs were before I even, you know, got into writing. So like, we get all of those. And um, apparently you could also like check out books if you're an employee there as if it were a library. So like she what? could check out two, yeah, she could check out like two books a week. Uh, and she would like start bringing home um, novels and, and she knew how much I loved reading. And this was like, you know, a cheap way for, for me to get the books I wanted. So she introduced me to like Mary Higgins Clark and all that stuff. And it was never, oh, you're only 10 years old. Maybe you shouldn't be reading these murder books. She's like, oh, here, I really like this. I think you'll like it too. <laughs> you know, so so it, it, it was definitely partly her. Um, I also like we all grew up in like my it was a multi-generational household. So it was my my maternal grandparents house. Um, so that's why like I kind of blame that for some of like my old lady tendencies, because like I grew up watching like Matlock. And murder she wrote, you know, with my grandparents. So I, I feel like crime fiction and mystery related things, uh, that love did start from a very young age, thanks to my family. So when did you transition from reader to writer? Like I kind of dabbled a bit like in high school and also like in elementary school. I was an English major in college, but I never took like a creative writing class. Um because those were expensive and they were late at night. And my parents didn't want me coming home late. Um, so I only really started taking writing seriously. Maybe I want to say like 2015. Um, so after graduating, I spent about three and a half years teaching English in a small town in South Korea. And when I came home, I was like, I found myself, you know, living in the same place, doing the same things working you know like a part-time job and I was like is this it you know like I was gonna be turning 30 so like that was my moment I was just like whatever happened to writing like didn't you like wasn't that your big dream so um I specifically remember I just googled like like creative writing Chicago <laughs> and then like <laughs> and then I kind of looked at the options that were there um and one of the first options was for a one-day mystery writing workshop. And I was like, oh, I love reading mystery. Like, I'd never thought about writing mystery. I, I kind of always thought I'd be kid-lit or maybe fantasy, because that's kind of what I grew up on. Um, but, like, I knew I loved reading mystery. So I was like, why not? You know, it's one day. I can actually afford this particular class. And, like, <laughs> from that point on, like, I was a mystery writer. <laughs> that's amazing. I feel like... If there's anything I would be most afraid to write, it would be mystery. It would be mystery. <laughs> like just constructing a good murder mystery just seems so complicated. It's oh yeah, it's it's, it's a lot of times where I'm writing it, I'm just like, why did I have to choose? You know, because there are just so many moving pieces, and you know, like you get to like you, like you finish a draft and you're like, oh, clues. Like there should be like <laughs> things to help people figure this out, right? <laughs> You know, my very first book, like, I didn't know who the killer, like, I got the killer wrong. Like, I thought I knew who was the killer. Oh, wow. Uh, and I got partway through and I was like, no, that doesn't feel right. And I'm like, well, let's rewrite this entire thing again. Oh, I mean, my you're the God. author. You're allowed to change who the killer is. No one, no one would know if, unless yeah. you told them. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, but then I also have so much respect for people who write, like, in other genres. You know, like, like I said, like, fantasy, you know, like, I dream someday of writing like you know like kidlit fantasy based on like filipino mythology and just like that world building 
You know, mm. people are like, oh, you're making it up. It's fine. Like, but you still have to research so much <laughs> that goes into it. And I just, I can't even wrap my head around it. I'm like, that's for, that's a future Mia to worry about. Like, she cannot handle this right now. Yeah. <laughs> we'll stick with the dead bodies. So you also have a content warning for this book. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, that was like really interesting. I've been seeing a little bit more of those coming into like YA and like mm-hmm. a couple of other genres. But uh, you said in your content warning that one of your sensitivity readers in the Philippines, they were mm-hmm. triggered by like the evidence uh, planting and police intimidation that's mm-hmm. present in the book. And I thought that was really interesting because those are just common things in mm-hmm. in mystery tropes, not even just uh, books, but television shows like that Mm. is just like a a normal episode of i don't know like law and order like what like whatever cop shows and like crime shows we have here (laughs) um so and and i thought that was like interesting because that like we're seeing this from a very american lens but Mm -hmm. like back in the motherland it's it's considered Mm -hmm. triggering so i just wanted to know your thoughts like what was your reaction to it and um like the decision to make the um, content warning in the beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a Filipino American in the Midwest writing a Filipino American character in the Midwest. But, you know, I grew up in a, like a working class majority Latinx neighborhood. I don't speak Tagalog. Right. What I know of my culture is, is strictly through my family. I don't have a huge community that I could draw on, you know? And so, yes, obviously I'm just one perspective, right? Like I'm not meant to be like the voice of the Filipino American. Um, But I also wanted to fill in some of those gaps in like my cultural knowledge, right? Because there are some Tagalog phrases and things in there. And it's like, I want to make sure those are right, you know? And like my mom helped some, um, but I wanted like an objective outside perspective. And also, you know, some of, you know, a lot of the characters on there are are immigrants, right? Like they like I was born and raised in Chicago, but a lot of the characters in the books were born and raised in the Philippines. They came later on. Obviously, you know, like those intergenerational differences are part of the book. But I kind of wanted to give a better rounded perspective, um, if that makes sense. So like that's originally what I was looking for, right? Like the language and the culture. So when she gave me that note, like I was shocked. Right. Because like, as you said, you know, like and, and I say it in the content warning, like I was looking at it as an American. <laughs> I was looking at it as like a mystery reader where like it's, you know, because this is a cozy. And right for people who don't know what cozies are, they're like the hallmark of murder mysteries. Hallmark right? of murder mysteries. Yeah, right. <laughs> like That's why they're called, you know, they're like, even though there's dead bodies, it's meant to be it's supposed to be light. They're usually humorous. You know, you, you go in knowing that there's a happy ending. So, like, for me, I thought, I was like, oh, you know, it's not, there's nothing, like, gory or sexual or anything that I would have to warn people about. But for people who are not American, for people who are not familiar uh, with some of these tropes, because, like, one of the, one of the best things that makes, that's actually making me really happy are the people who are reaching out who are like, I don't usually read mysteries or I don't even know what a cozy is, but I'm so excited to see a Filipino-American protagonist. I'm so excited to support a Filipino-American author, you know, so they're picking up my book, not knowing these kind of like general tropes. So, you know, for readers like that, the last thing I want to do is like cause harm, especially when they're just like so excited to to have this kind of representation. Um, 
So, you know, things that seem like no big deal to me, it's not on me to judge what's okay for someone else. Like, it's not for me to tell you like, no, 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 it's not a big deal. You're, you're making too much of it because that's not my experience, you know? Um, so, um, especially for people who are homeland Filipinos, like we, you know, there, there are huge differences between a diaspora Filipino and homeland Filipino, but I want them to still feel safe, you know, when they pick up a book, my books especially. Um, and so, like, I hope, like, that kind of care came through in, in my note and in the pages as well. I, I'm sure it did. I, I really do wish that more books going forward uh, use content warnings, because how do you know if mm -hmm. uh, you should avoid a certain work because mm -hmm. of those uh, triggering factors? Like, you won't know until you start reading the book, and by mm -hmm. then it's a little bit too late. Um, I gotta say... You got me in the first line of the book, <laughs> and first lines in books are very, very difficult. Uh, the first line in this book is, my name is Lila Makapagal, and my life has become a rom-com cliche. And this is very funny to me because uh, Lila thinks that she's in a rom-com, but literally, like, maybe a page later, there's, like, a dead body in, mm -hmm. in, in like, her, <laughs> in, like, her, the restaurant, and it happens to be her ex-boyfriend, who I immediately hated and wished that he would be dead and sure enough he died and I was just like oh yes like this is definitely my type of book um so I just wanted to like uh hear like how did you get Lila's voice um how did you like develop her character because she's really sassy independent mm -hmm. but also very vulnerable because she's 25 years old and she's kind of at this weird crossroad of like what do I do with my life and I think that's very relatable. <laughs> yeah, so I love talking about this because so um, I was chatting with like my mentor, uh, Kelly Garrett, like one day, and, like we were just joking about how so many like cozy mysteries actually have like rom-com tropes in them. Because um, like, if, if you follow a lot of like it, it's usually, it's, you know, it's almost always a small town setting. Usually the protagonist like didn't stay in her hometown the whole time. Like she left, it's, and it's always a she. <laughs> you're like 99.9 percent .9 of the time it's a she left home for the big city had to return for some reason um and then you know like they usually like fall in love if not romantic love then at least with like the town that they they see you know in, in a different light you know very, again very hallmark which is why i use that as a <laughs> you know as an explanation earlier um so we were joking about that one day and i was just like oh my god cozies are just rom-coms with dead bodies <laughs> and like i really loved that idea um but i didn't start working on it right away i was literally i was on the train to work one day and that first line that you said it popped into my head fully formed like with the character's name so like so people are like oh how did you choose the names so i was like i don't know like it just that was the name um and so i wanted to explore that so like i pulled out my phone and i started writing it down because like i knew this is a character that i needed to get to know better like this was my next story that i had to write um and then on that ride the the second line also came so they, they basically came together it was like i think the second line is something like um not many Romantic comedies have Asian American leads or dead bodies, but more on that later. And I was like, oh, that's the story. This is the whole, you know, so um, it was like a really weird, like serendipity kind of thing. Like I didn't have to work for that line or that story idea. It really just came and I had to figure out like, well, okay, she, like you said, she thinks she's like a rom-com heroine. Who is she? 
like what kind of person would come with that kind of sensibility and and I kind of worked backward from there I kind of took a little bit from like Sweet Home Alabama with Reese Witherspoon because I knew in my head she kind of had to be like a big fish in a small pond kind of character think she's a little too good for everybody but she needs to get knocked down a few notches like that's kind of where I started and she grew from there I think I would have liked that movie more if there was a dead body, <laughs> just to be perfectly honest. But yeah, we've read a couple of cozies for this book club. Um, I mean, we've read Mimi Lee um, uh, Gets a Clue by uh, Jennifer J. Chow, and we've read uh, Naomi Hirahara's uh, book. And, you know, like, I just, I noticed that this was my first uh cozy novel my first mystery novel with a filipino american uh sleuth it was Mm -hmm. very new to me and i i just want to like hear your thoughts on like what um like how important it was for you to um incorporate filipino culture and have like um a multi-generational family Mm -hmm. in your book yeah so you know like a common theme like on this show like i've noticed but you know it's everyone just we're writing the books that we wish we had as a kid or that we could still even now as an adult you know i'm in my mid-30s and i'm like why can i still not find you know at least easily i'm not saying they don't exist i'm saying why can i not easily find these like why are these not mainstream why are these not being marketed right um and so it's it, you know like again yeah the second largest group we're huge but very little representation um a lot of it is either like lit fic right and literary fiction very beautiful, very important topics. Not my jam, right? Not what not what I want to write, should I say. Perfectly fine reading it, not what I want to write. Um, we're making like ways in like fantasy. I've seen a lot, you know, like fantastic like Filipino fantasy writers. Again, a little too hard for me. That's <laughs> that's once I've leveled up a little bit. Um, but mystery was is like my like my big uh, my big genre love. And there, there's not a lot. All off the top of my head, the only other Philip, um, writer that I know is Jennifer Hillier. Uh, she's a Filipino Canadian. She writes thrillers, but again, those are thrillers, right? Those are like, oh, you know, it'll keep that page <laughs> those, those turning. Are not relaxing. <laughs> yeah, you know, like you, I finished the book in one sitting, but then I'm lying in bed, like, oh my god, this world is awful. People are, gar-, you know, like that, <laughs> which is like true, but like it's like that's not what I need right now. You know, especially in the middle of a global pandemic, I need something a little, <laughs> a little happier. You need some relaxing my... <laughs> death related yeah. fiction. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, ooh, this like really hilarious murder. That's what I'm <laughs> looking for. The... <laughs> um, so that's one of the like because people ask me like, why a cozy? Like, why why not like a hard hitting like noir? You know, or like really <laughs> saying something about you? Know, I'm like, I can still comments i can still make commentaries on social justice and you know the 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 justice system and the policing system is as it is in the u.s but make it light make it fun make it entertaining there's lots of ways that we can handle these topics i think um and also i don't know like i don't want there to only be struggle books right i don't only want books about our trauma and our pain i really want books where we're allowed to have fun um like you said relaxing entertaining you know falling in love being the hero all that good stuff i i want this wide spectrum for us yeah i feel like because representation is still so scarce in like american Mm -hmm. culture it feels like everything we do has to like be this like prestige like Mm -hmm. saying something book when like i just want to read 
genre fiction. Mm-hmm. I want to read like just like regular pop that features Asian Americans or without having to, it to be about, you know, why we're here and what we're mm-hmm. doing in this world, right? Mm-hmm. Like we should be allowed to make stuff that isn't, you know, Oscar bait, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, right. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm not like, this isn't the sympathizer, right? I'm not going to get a Pulitzer and I'm fine with that, right? Because that's not what I'm writing for, right? So it's, it's one of those things, you know, yes, like they're Filipino American because I'm Filipino American. It's, it's a multi-generational family because that's how I grew up and I want that representation. These things, you know, they, they affect the character. They affect how the character sees the world. They affect how the world sees the character. But that's not all that the book is. You know, there, there's just it's it's meant as nuance, as opposed to like the storyline. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like the things I've noticed in like book Twitter discourse. I mean, <laughs> God. Um, but like people saying like, oh, like this, like this book by a person of color. It's you know, it's very tropey. It's nothing new, mm. but it's new to us because we mm-hmm. haven't seen people who look like us in in those roles. And um, even with your um, with your novel, I mean, there are like signs of like cozy tropes. Like it's. Take, it takes place in a small town and mm-hmm. you know there's like the food business which is like also a common trope but mm-hmm. um to me it was like really refreshing because uh like we said earlier this is told from a very filipino american lens mm-hmm. and um and of course like that's kind of how uh, lila gets her clues and mm-hmm. you know like travels travels about in this world Actually, like talking about the clues, I thought it was very funny how her inside information came from like her extended family's um, like medical background. It's like, <laughs> hey, <laughs> it's like, hey, I have a cousin who works like in the ER, or like mm-hmm. I have an I have an auntie who you know used to be like the head nurse there, and I just thought that was like really. I mean, really some funny. might say that's a Filipino American trope right there, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's one of those, it's like, oh, I know it's a stereotype, but like, it's true. <laughs> like, like my, my brother's a nurse and his fiance is a Filipino nurse and her entire family. You know, it's one of those, like, it would be like, again, because I want to play with tropes, because you're like, you're right. People complain about tropes, but we never get to play with them. We're never, we never get to put our spin on it and have our fun with it. And that's what I was doing, you know, like, fine, there's going to be this stereotype. It's perfect for her network, right? Every Filipino is a nurse. Well, that's her. And she's going to find someone who can get her the information she needs. One of my, one of my favorite things about uh, this book is that you balance like um, like the Filipino American like culture, like the good things about it, and also like some of the negative things about it, because mm-hmm. uh, you have the calendar crew, like the the meddling aunties, and you know, like it's very easy to make them very annoying and not <laughs> redeemable at all. But you can really tell that they're very endearing and that they mm-hmm. really do care, despite their matchmaking and mm-hmm. you know their gossip, and also. You have like the negative parts where they criticize uh, Lila's weight, and that's like mm-hmm. a very big thing, not in just Filipino American culture, but also Asian American culture. As like, um, and and also there's there's the whole like Americans they they emphasize like being independent and mm-hmm. following your dreams, but of course like Asian American culture that's a little bit different. You're kind of seen as uh, like the black sheep, and mm-hmm. that's also like 
that's kind of like a gray area. You don't really know if that's like a bad or good thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like that's like one of the things I, I really love about your book. Yeah, th- yeah, because that was important with the Kelly. Because again, like with the Kelly, again, it's so easy for them to be stereotypy or just like the villains or something. And it's, I wanted to show that I get it. The, this is how you show your love. This is how you know how to show your love. But I don't have to like it, right? <laughs> like, I don't, you know what I mean? So it's just, I, I try to balance that. Where like I like you are not trying to tear me down, but at the same time, I'm not going to just accept it and be like okay with it um, necessarily, <laughs> or you know, or at least you know, like I'm doing with Lila. Um, and you know, and then yeah, that difference between, like, the American ideal of independence versus, like, the Asian-American idea of, like, family and community. And I want her to have that great, because, like, one is not necessarily better. It's just, you know, it's just oh, yeah, being definitely. torn. You know, it's, like, that terrible idea of, like, well, because you're trying to do what's best for you, you're selfish. <laughs> you know? Uh, and, like, that's, I think, the problem that I have trouble with. And especially, you know, especially her, she's, like, she's 25, you know. Um, she thinks she knows what she wants she's kind of failed in the beginning and she's she's working hard to make sure to see um to make it like to to rebound from it i guess um but she feels like people are trying to hold her back and don't really get her so trying to balance those two things all right so we got let's let's um we got our our greatest hits or we got our uh filipino american (laughs) nurses we got meddling aunties um and we have also the greatest hit of all for asian american I guess culture or literature, um, media, um, food, which is mm, this. Yeah. <laughs> um, you set your book in a restaurant and food figures. It's in the title, Arsenic and mm-hmm. Adobo. Um, was that something you always wanted to highlight? Like, was that something that you set out to do, or was that? Yeah. Just- did you did you uh, decide right from the get go that this is going to be like a restaurant, uh, like uh, setting? Pretty early on, yeah. So. I love food. I love eating. I love books that include food. Um, culinary cozies are like a subgenre within a subgenre. Like those are like my, those are like my mom's favorite ones. So she was the one who introduced me to cozies. You know, she first started handing me the book. You know, it, it was about like a cookie baker who solves murders. I'm like, this is ridiculous. But I'm just like, oh, but this is kind of fun. You know, um, you don't go in for the quality of the writing necessarily. Like this is just like a fun thing. And so I started getting into it. And then when the idea came, I was like, okay. It, it's definitely going to be a cozy and it's definitely going to be this kind of cozy. Um, and I say it's because I think food is a shortcut to culture for a lot of diaspora kids. You know, again, I was born and raised in Chicago. You know, I've, I've never lived in the Philippines. I've visited a few times. Um, so a lot of what I know about it is through the food that my father cooked growing up. My father and my grandmother. My mom couldn't cook this you know mm. um but um but this book is dedicated to my dad because he's the one who taught me to appreciate food um and he's the one where i eventually figured out that food could be a love language right because again not to be too stereotypical but like my dad old school stoic asian guy the words i love you <laughs> were not something that that came out a lot you know, um, physical affection wasn't really a thing too, right? No, no big hugs or kisses or anything like that. Um, but when he made these big meals, you know, um, when he t- you know, fed and took care of our family, that was his way of showing he cared. And so like showing, so like the Tita Rosie character, like that's kind of her thing. And like, I wanted to put like my dad in the story in some way. So like, that's part of him in that character. 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The like the whole like Asian people don't say I love you in in (laughs) verbiage. They say it through food. And it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, that is like a stereotype, but it there's there's truth in it. So Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, a, there's a reason why we all relate to it, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, like, I was I was studying Tagalog last year for a while. I had to stop because I got a little too busy. But I, I asked my Tagalog teacher, it's like, so so the way you say I love you is mahal kita. And, like, I was always like, is mahal kita, like, romantic love? Is that, like, is it, is it can you say it to your family? Is it with your friends? You know, because, like, in English, it's, it's just I love you. And, you, and it's a catch-all, but other languages have different levels. And she, and she looked at me and she was just like, oh. Nobody says I. Nobody says Mahalkita in your family. Nobody says I love you. Like she's like she was trying to imagine within her family saying I love you to each other. And she's like, yeah, no, I don't think we would like culturally. We don't just say that. She's like, we can say that to our friends, but we would say it jokingly. You know, you know, like the way you do with your friends. Sometimes you're like, I love you. You would say it kind of like that. She's like, we would say it to our friends in that way. But like a like a real heartfelt I love you. She's like, no, that's like for movies and stuff. <laughs> I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, so like that idea of like those words exist, but maybe you wouldn't use them in that way because there's other ways to show love. Uh, that that's that really stuck with me when she told me that. And I was like, oh dang, okay. <laughs> that's that's really interesting. I've like never like heard about that. Yeah. Um actually I, when I was reading your book, I felt so stupid because when all of the uh, Filipino terms were coming up and all of the food, uh, I was just like, oh, I'll just read this like by context clues. I'll Mm -hmm. like I Googled some of the food just to see like what it looked like. Mm -hmm. And I realized by the time I finished your book, oh, there's a glossary (laughs) at the very (laughs) beginning. I I just because I was reading this through NetGalley and I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm just going to jump right in like chapter one. Let's go. And totally missed the glossary <laughs> no, no but thank you because okay I'll, i'm gonna be completely honest here you read it the way i want people to read it oh i did okay i i, I include people are 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 thankful for the glossary so i'm glad you know i put it but i honestly i i only wrote that glossary to begin with because i knew i was gonna have an audiobook and at the time i wasn't sure i was gonna get a filipino-american narrator or, or, or at least one who would know how to so i was just like okay I don't know how many uh, Filipino audiobook narrators there are. If I'm stuck with someone who doesn't know these terms or the pronunciation of these languages, I want to give them some context so they can take, you know, into the into the recording booth with them. So that's how I started it. And then, you know, eventually I found out like, oh, I, w- I will have, a, I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> there, I will have a Philam narrator. That's amazing. But I already made this glossary. I'm sure it's helpful for some people. So I might as well turn that into um, so, you know, it's, it's one of the, like, it's even a line in the book. It's just like, I don't know if you don't know, Google it. Right. So like, I feel like so many people want you to hold their hand when they see terms they don't know. It's like, that's what yeah, like you said, like you used context, <laughs> you used the Google because we have the Internet at our hands. Um, so like, I would like people to do it that way. But I mean, like, no shade to people who enjoy the glossary because it helps them because, you know, obviously looking at it written, it's not how it's spelled. You know, like I had a lot of problems with some of the honorifics like Ate. Right. Like, so her, her older cousin, Bernadette, you know, it looks like it's eight, right? It's spelled A-T-E. And I know that would be an issue. So like, no, it's pronounced Ate. So, so things like that are, are why I included the glossary. But like, <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you were able to understand it, like, you know, getting through without using the glossary <laughs> to begin with. 
Yeah, I mean, I do this for uh, like Western books as well. Like when British, like old British pe- period pieces, I'm like, I don't know what that is. Like, let me Google it. So yeah, it's yeah. just the thing that I do all across the board. And I think people <laughs> who are unfamiliar with Asian culture should definitely have that habit as well. Because people complain about it, but I'm just like, you know, like, there are huge swaths of Jane Eyre that are in French and there's no context clues and it's not <laughs> translated and everyone's like, oh, that Bronte, you know, it's it's so, but when it's like Asian terminology or non-Western terminology, they're just like, well, I don't get it, you know, so, <laughs> ugh. so I, I had mixed feelings on that. Oh, we all do. <laughs> it's an Asian thing, I think. <laughs> yeah. um, but like speaking of like food, uh, did you have like a, do you have like a favorite Filipino dish and you were just like, I have to put this in this book. <laughs> like it is my favorite. There's no way it's like not making it in the book. Oh, it's hard because like my favorite Filipino dish is one that like, OK, again, I know it's not be catering to Western audiences, but like we're trying to describe it in a book doesn't make it sound like the most appealing. It's called Kare Kare. And it's um, it's 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 an oxtail and tripe stew um, with like eggplant and green beans and like leafy vegetables. And it's cooked in like a thick peanut sauce. Um, Someone said it's similar to like, is it is it pandan curry that has like a, like a peanut based sauce? And you eat it with like um, like fermented shrimp paste called bagong. And, and so it's like, you know, like explaining it. It's just like, oh, yeah, oxtail and tripe. Isn't that everybody's fave? Yeah, fermented shrimp. Mm-mm, you know, but... <laughs> Sounds it's, good to it's, me. I don't know. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, but like, it's so good. Like, just with mounds of white rice, it is so comforting. Because it's, it's like a nice, like, hearty, warming meal. And it's so delicious. And I do want to include it in a book someday. I just need to think of, like, a really good way to describe it that makes it sound tasty the descriptions are probably the hardest part for me i i bet like <laughs> how do you describe what something tastes like is mm-hmm. aside from like sweet spicy like salty mm-hmm. like whatever so i like i really appreciated all of the descriptive food writing i was so hungry and <laughs> like i love I love everything that is ube. So like every single time when Lila pulled out like the ube cookies, I'm like, God damn it. Like (laughs) there's no place. (laughs) Actually, there's a cafe very close to me uh, that is run by Filipino Americans and they have like ube flavored like milkshake and cookies and whatnot. But they were closed during COVID. And I was like, no. (laughs) So reading this book definitely made me hungry and like miss like a lot of the desserts because there's a lot of desserts. I was was actually like pretty surprised because I did not know that like Filipino Americans had like so much sugar in in a lot of their dishes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. like we we are the people who have banana ketchup. You know what I mean? Like, what? And, and and like and sweet spaghetti, right? So like, sugar is like is like a top tier food group, I think, in a lot of <laughs> Filipino cooking. Yeah, I I mean, as like a coffee drinker, uh, like Marvin too. You're you're like a coffee addict as well. Just like the number I don't of have a sugar packets. I just like <laughs> the number of sugar packets and cream that was like described in the book uh, when like I was just like how can they do that that oh, is no. like sacrilegious <laughs> <laughs> so I like totally get got it like when Lila was just like coffee is like what are you doing with that instant coffee mm-hmm. that is terrible like no is that also a trope because my aunt and my parents love like Folgers instant coffee and 
for the yeah. first like month of the quarantine, that's all I had to drink. And I was oh my god. Until I like I'm just gonna internet order coffee beans and like buy a grinder because like I can't <laughs> take this crystal shit anymore. Yeah. So I mean I keep instant coffee around for like when my mom comes to visit because she wants she's like she wants that Nest Cafe, that Kopi Goldman. You know, when I taught like in Korea, it was just like little packets of like Maxim Gold. Oh, um, Maxim is a classic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, when I was in the Philippines and I was staying with family, like every time for merienda, like the, it, it was always like Nescafe three in one, Coffee Code three in one, like never like coffee. <laughs> and I'm, I'm I'm actually a black like I I learned to uh, to appreciate black coffee, so that's usually how I take it. So and and you know again in my head like I needed her to be like really bougie. And I'm like, that's something she can like really latch on to, right? Where her family would be all about instant coffee. They don't taste the difference. They don't understand why you'd pay $5 for a cup of just bitter bleh when you can have this sugary, creamy, cheap beverage, you know? Um, so that, that's something I wanted to latch on to as well. Yeah. So I really love the small town aspect of your book. Uh, Shady Palms is like... <laughs> That was that was a name, let me tell you, because this book takes place in Chicago. And like sometimes I forgot because mm-hmm. yeah, um, because like characters would be standing in the snow. I'm like, why are they standing in, in snow? Like this is shady palms. <laughs> like, isn't this isn't this Southern California? But it, it, it's not. <laughs> it's not. Um, so can you like and also I think you captured the whole like horrifying experience of coming back to your small town like after um, like numerous years and you run into like old high school nemeses because (laughs) like i could definitely identify like all of the side characters in this book being like yep i know a janet like i know a Bernadette. (laughs) like like the people that like uh that our parents pit us against each other since childhood yeah Mm -hmm. definitely know who they are so i just want to ask like how did you come up with uh the small town shady palms and um, and you have like a very large cast of characters. Like, how did you like manage to keep track of all of them? <laughs> um, so yeah, so like this is like a fictional town, like a couple hours outside of Chicago. Um, and again, one because I read so many cozies, and two because I again I really wanted to play with those tropes. It had to be a small town. It couldn't just be a neighborhood of Chicago. Not for this particular story. Um, but I knew, like, I didn't want it to be a real place because then I'd have to do research and, like, you know, I'd have that person telling me, like, you know, that river is not in the right place. So, yeah, so I wanted to make sure I made it up. Um, and I also wanted it to be, like, its own, like, ridiculous little world. So, like, that, you know, that kind of thing, like, Shady Palms, but it's, like, in the Midwest, just outside of Chicago. Um, so, like, at first, I, I, I came up with a more, like, stereotypical name. I think I saw, like, the name Shady Grove. I'm like, oh, that sounds good. And it turns out there is a Shady Grove, Illinois. And I was like, oh. Uh, so I'm like, Shady Pines? I'm like, no, that's the Golden Girls Retirement Home. Okay. <laughs> and then <laughs> I was like, there's not going to be a place named Shady Palms. Like, that's just a ridiculous name. And so, like, I kind of put it as a placeholder to see if maybe I could make it work. And it stayed. So um, I had a lot of fun with that. And, and um like a beta reader kind of gave me some really good feedback because like, again, like I said earlier, like I, I hate writing descriptions. So when it came to this town, people are like, what does this town look like? How many people are there? She's just kind of floating in this white empty space. And I was like, oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> Let me kind of fill this out a little bit. Um, so I kind of put in like a backstory of like why it's called Shady Palms and like, 
you know, this guy with all these like tacky plastic palms, like lining the main street to give like a little bit of like color and stuff. Um, so that's how I came up with that. As for the large cast. Yeah, that was an issue. Oh. <laughs> I kind of wish, I, you know, it's one of those, it's, it's such a balancing act, especially as with, because you need enough people to be suspects, right? Like if there's two people, you're like, well, 50, 50, right. <laughs> um, and that's really boring. Um, I also wanted to, because this character had a life and a history before the story starts. Um, and she wouldn't have like a small family. Right? Her immediate family is small, but because the, her family is the way they are, obviously there's this large extended, you know, not by blood, but the, the aunties and the cousins and, and, you know, that they're all connected to in some way. So that's like what felt right to me. It felt good as a character choice. To, to make her feel real, it felt good from a mystery standpoint because this is her network that she could tap into. Um, but from a writing standpoint, it really was a balancing act because I'm just like, oh my goodness, everyone, there's like 10 people in the scene and they all need to talk at some point. Like 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 the dinner scene, like when they're all kind of almost like, oh geez, why did I have so many people <laughs> over for dinner? Like, oh, so yeah. And then now in future books, because like... um. It's a, it's a three-book deal. Hopefully, I can write more than that. But it, it all takes place in the same world. It all follows the same protagonist. So, like, I have to work in not all, but most of these characters while also introducing new ones in, in these future books. And it's super fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you'll do a good job. I mean, like, I like even though, like, the, some of, like, the characters, you see them, like, once or twice and don't see mm -hmm. them again. Like, I really enjoyed them. And... Um, just like the sheer diversity of the cast, too. I was like, oh, yeah, there's like a South Asian American. There's like an uh, there's like a mixed race uh, mm -hmm. Asian. And I was like, this is a very diverse town. And I don't really see that in a lot of uh, mysteries because mm -hmm. unfortunately, uh, in a lot of mystery <laughs> novels, it takes place, I don't know, in like a quaint English town or yeah, yeah or like a gritty I don't know, like a gritty underbelly uh, city, and <laughs> mm -hmm. there's like no Asian people in it. So I mean, that's true for both mysteries and Hallmark movies. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Has your mom read your book yet? No, she has the book of the month edition, so like she she is um, reading it now, which is just like oh, because she oh my goodness, she's very loving and caring and supportive, but she's also Asian mom, <laughs> <laughs> so like. I showed her an early version of my cover, like the not finalized, like it was the initial sketch, which they knew was going to change. And they're like, I want your feedback. But what do you think of this? And I was so excited. Like I showed my mom and like, but through like messenger, like I sent it to her, the messenger and I went to go do something. And she was just like, I hate it. <gasps> and then I didn't respond fast enough to her message. So she called me and she was like, Hey, did you see my message? I hate it. And I was just like, mommy, <laughs> what like i am super excited about this and i and she's just like but that's not your cover right i'm like no i'm I'm gonna give feedback i just wanted to show you what we're starting with and she's like oh okay but like <laughs> like she loves at, at it least now. it wasn't your writing though if it was oh, like yeah, yeah, she yeah. read your book and she's like i hate it it's like oh I mean, my <laughs> yeah yeah your mom also worked in publishing and this is her favorite <laughs> genre I, this, yeah. I imagine that the stakes have never been higher 
for yeah, like, and she works approval. at the library now too, right? So she's like, so again, like she will brag about me all the time. Like even before I, she like she everyone knew that I was a writer at the library before I got like an agent, before I got a deal. And I'm just like, oh, mommy, and then you know, so like again, she is like my biggest support. You know, like she like now she wants like my cover on everything so she could show everybody. She, which is why I can't tell her anything anymore because she like really <laughs> wants to like spread the word. Um, so like, don't worry, editors. I promise I'm not telling her secrets anymore. It's it's not going to spread. Um, but yeah. So again, it, it's really nice to have someone who's so supportive of my writing, even when she is so critical in other ways. <laughs> so this uh, this is a series and. Mm-hmm. Man, like the second book is usually usually harder to write <sighs> compared to the first book from what we've heard from other writers who write like trilogies and series. Um, I don't know how long it took you to write the first book, but definitely for like the second and third books, you have deadlines. So I just mm-hmm. want to ask, like, how have you been coping with that, especially when you're writing mystery where you kind of have <laughs> to have structure for everything? Second book syndrome is so real. And second book syndrome in like a global pandemic when everything is just like, bleh, it, it was really hard. So um, Arsenic and Adobo took about a year and a half to two years to complete almost. Um, and then book two, I had to turn in a draft in like eight or nine months or something oh like that. Oh my God. That's like, yeah. <laughs> being preg- that's like being pregnant. And yeah. like, wow. <laughs> Yeah, that book, baby. Yeah. And, but like you're, also, like, you're writing it while you're also editing book one, you know? Uh, so, so like the way things are now, like I need to promo book one. I'm going to soon start editing book two and I am currently writing book three, you know? So it's like a lot of things like stacked up at once. Um, and yeah, like book one came so easily to me. Like, cause again, the idea came and it just flowed from there. This is just Yes, it's easy because I don't have to do as much character work because I know who she is. But at the same time, I want her to grow a little bit. But she can't grow too much because these are technically like standalones, right? You're supposed to be able to pick up a book, any number book in this series, and kind of know who they are and and understand what's going on, right? It's not like an overarching plot the way it would be if it was like a fantasy series. Um, So that has its pros and cons, right? Like, I'm free to come up with whatever. I don't need to necessarily have those ties to the previous book but it is hard because like how do i reintroduce these characters to new readers without like boring the old ones Mm. you know how do i hit all the genre expectations of a cozy mystery without just repeating the same beats that i did in book one you know um that kind of how can i have this character have an arc and grow and change but it's she's not so different again that like if you pick up a book in any part of the series, you're confused as to who she is and what she's doing, you know? Uh, so that's kind of what I'm balancing right now. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> no tips, Marvin? <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm excited to see how uh, the murders are going to work because creative murders, I, like, uh, I don't want to spoil anything in, in the first book, but let me say, like, how the the main victim died i was like oh like this is this is interesting like (laughs) it's a very unique way to kill someone so i am excited to read uh, the second book and uh see how you decided to kill off a character (laughs) (laughs) that sounds really morbid but because we're talking about cozies like Mm -hmm. i don't feel bad about talking about dead bodies 
So, yeah. 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 My yeah. search history is very interesting. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so as we wrap up our interview, um, mm-hmm. so great to speak with you. Congratulations again on the book launch. According to your bio, you have tons of very, um, very geeky pursuits. So yeah. <laughs> I'm interested in what you're excited about right now. Like, what are you reading? What are you watching? Um, Right now, I'm actually reading, I guess, you know, again, I need things that keep me happy. So I'm reading a lot of like diverse romance. Um, I'm currently, oh, I was listening to her on your show recently. I'm almost done with Loathe at First Sight by Suzanne Park. Oh, yeah, um, Suzanne. So, yeah, so that and I'm also like How to Fail at Flirting by Denise Williams. So like just like BIPOC romance is just like really delivering lately and it's making me so happy anything by talia hibbert and Alyssa cole you know that's where i'm at um video games i'm i'm like addicted to my switch like if i could name like the top three things that got me through the pandemic it's like it's like it's like bipoc romance nintendo switch and D D. because i started i, I recently <laughs> joined a I, I joined a D group at the beginning of the pandemic to kind of a virtual one yeah um so, like Stardew Valley, if I want something very relaxing. Um, I really like uh, Japanese RPGs. So, there's a game called Persona 5 Strikers. Oh, my and- God. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> the good. The music and the design is so good. It's just, it's I have the soundtrack. Yeah. It's one of yeah. my favorite, like, writing things because it's like, because I don't really like listening to words with lyrics, but like if it's like in another language or if it's if it or it's not as easy to understand, it, it's just upbeat enough to keep me going. So, yeah, video game music is really good. Um, <laughs> anything else i like playing weird dating sims sometimes (laughs) um so like dream daddy um there's one called later daters where you're a senior citizen trying to get it on at like a at a senior living home um wow that sounds amazing (laughs) monster prom where you are in d-day monster trying to find a date for prom uh you know things like just weird things like that yeah all right so uh we're winding down and i want to give you a chance to um share with our audience like what you hope they get out of your your book and where they can find you sure um i mean honestly i just want people to have a good time to have an again because i'm not i i'm not trying to educate people about filipino american culture but i do want them to appreciate how it's woven in and how it enhances the mystery genre um, as opposed to like if it was just like a regular regular just like white protagonist in a white town right again like it, it, it's how it adds nuance and how we are able to just have all different kinds of stories um, and I also really want you to appreciate the food because I think Filipino food is amazing and doesn't get enough love um, as for where to find me I'm at mpm the writer on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm like, I'm never on Facebook, but I have to say it anyway for, you know, my, my pub team likes it. Uh, but I'm mostly on Twitter and Instagram. And you can also check out my website at www.miapmanansala.com. Um, if you sign up for my newsletter, I include Filipino-inspired recipes uh, in every newsletter. I do book giveaways. Um, I love talking about the media I'm consuming at the time. I also do a lot of candle recommendations for all you like candle fans. <laughs> a new, uh, again, another pandemic obsession. So if you're into that, um, I think you might enjoy my newsletter. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mia, for joining us on Books and Boba. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And congratulations again on your book launch. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. 
And that was our interview with Mia P. Mansala, the author of Arsenic and Adobo, available for sale on May 4th. Um, thank you once again to Mia for joining us and chatting all about her book. Um, we're very excited to see what you all think about it when it comes out into the world. Um, needless to say, um, both Bieber and I are very much into not only the setting, but the story, the mystery. It just hit on all cylinders, right? Yeah, it was a fun read. Uh, yeah, like we definitely need more fun reads and uh, humorous murders in, in our <laughs> lives. Yeah. Um, before we go, Rira, once again, remind us what we're reading this month for our book club. We are reading How to Pronounce Knife, a short story collection by Suvankam Tamavangsa. Yeah, it is a collection of short stories centering around the Lao American community. Um, and we'll be talking about that at the end of the month. And with that, uh, we'll see you next time on Books and Boba. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Ri Rayu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Kim? Steve? Where have you been? We haven't seen you for seven years. Has, has it been that long? Uh-huh. Oh. Uh, I was on a fishing boat. Training. It's part of the plan. Pla- what training? What plan? The, 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 the third season of the Korean Drama Podcast! Okay, we're doing this again? Okay, but there's no body switching in this one, right? No! The only thing we're switching is the fact that we're going to watch a good drama this time from 2020 called Itaewon Class, a story about starting a restaurant and a dish that Koreans love called Revenge. I thought you were going to say kimchi jjigae. I thought you were going to say juke. Those two. Koreans love those two. Listen to the Korean Drama Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.